Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Radio Show. We are broadcasting on WLCB 101.5 FM from the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. I'm your host, Doris Nagel. And the goals of the Savvy Entrepreneur Show are to share resources for entrepreneurs, as well as to inspire by sharing stories from other entrepreneurs. Why am I doing this? Well, I'm a crazy entrepreneur myself, and I love helping other entrepreneurs. I've counseled lots of startups over the past 30 years as part of my law and consulting businesses, and I've also started or helped start at least nine different companies, and I have made a lot of mistakes. My goal is to help you, if not make fewer mistakes, at least not make the mistakes I've made, and I know as some of my guests on the show will share their wisdom you'll hear some of the mistakes that other businesses have made that hopefully you can avoid. As always, I welcome your comments, your questions, suggestions. There's a topic you'd like to hear about. Email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakesradio.org. Or if you want to be a guest or you're dealing with a challenge, I'll either answer it or I'll find somebody who can. The show will be better for your input. And now, without further ado, I'd like to introduce my esteemed guest for today, Joining me by phone is Steve Deinhardt, who will talk about a very popular and I think often misunderstood topic, which is crowdfunding. Steve is the CEO and president of something called Moolah Pitch, and that is a crowdfunding platform to help Wisconsin residents provide money exclusively to Wisconsin startup companies. Steve is a longtime entrepreneur himself, He's founded and runs a company called Heartland Business Transitions, which he describes as a boutique investment bank for transitions faced by middle market businesses. And he helps them through acquisitions, mergers, sales, ownership successions, and raising capital. He's also a senior M&A advisor for a company called General Equity. And he's worked in and around capital markets most of his career. In his past life, he worked with Growth Capital Services, and Fallbrook Capital Securities, and was the managing director for a company called Strategic Transition Securities, all based in California. He was also the principal and founder of something called the Beverage Guild. He grew up in Chicago. I think that must be more or less accurate, Steve, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. And he attended Nutria High School. He then went on to get his undergraduate degree from the University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana, go Illini has master's degrees in econ and agricultural economics from Michigan State, and he also holds a PhD in agricultural economics from Michigan State. So with that, Steve, welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you, Doris. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I look forward to talking with you. I was going to make a couple of side points here. I'm a New York body with a Chicago soul. 
Uh, ah. So I was born in upstate New York, but raised in the Chicago area. And in fact, I first got into the whole question of uh, raising capital, et cetera, uh, was my first business, which was Chicago Brewing Company, which we had uh, around Armitage and the Kennedy back when the uh, there was the first go around in craft breweries uh, back in 1990, 90 to 96. We ran that operation out there. And I apologize, I failed to mention that in your very esteemed and, and impressive biographies. No need, but the, the reason that's critical is during that period of time, I had to raise a lot of money. And that was a period of time when it was pretty buttoned down on how you were able to raise money with regard to regulations. And as a result, you know, I use basically every trick in the book to go and raise money, everything from the Illinois State Securities folks did allow some ads there at the time, as long as they were targeted to Regulation A, excuse me, accredited investors. And it was under the Regulation A, which the SEC had put to, put, to put out at the point in time. But, you know, did that, did the friends and family route, actually, you know, sending out letters to uh, Crane's top 40, under 40. Basically, I do anything possible in order yeah. to go out there and raise money. That's why crowdfunding was a strong interest to me. Well, first I have to ask you, since you talked about your New York background, I note for the listeners that you're based in the Madison area today. How did you end up there? Uh, My wife decided to buy a business, and I don't need to be based anyplace. So, uh, you know, I basically work virtually. And uh, I hate to say this, the traffic's a lot lot easier down here. Uh, Madison, having gone to grad school up there, Madison is a lovely, lovely city. It has so many amenities for a city that size. I don't blame you for wanting to live in Madison. It's easier, but I tell you, I love going down to uh, Chicago still. Yeah, it's a a fun city. It's in the blood. Just to give the listeners an idea of kind of the whole person – what, what do you do when you're not advising companies on transactions or helping them with crowdfunding? Um, I prefer to go dancing with my wife. <laughs> Absent that, I will be cooking up a meal and riding my bike. I do uh, enjoy uh, riding in the uh, Driftless area. So yeah. uh, lots of hills, no stop signs, stop lights. <laughs> and this time of year, I'm afraid I'm stuck riding the in a stationary, but yeah, soon I'll be back out on the bike again. Yeah, it's a beautiful place to bike. I can attest to that personally. So switching gears, the topic we're focusing on today is really crowdfunding. Talk a little bit about crowdfunding just generally. What is it and what isn't it? Well, crowdfunding basically, for lack of a better term, is using a mass of individuals a crowd to fund a particular particular project. Certainly, the uh, one of the most successful crowdfunding sites is Kickstarter. Kickstarter basically started out there as a reward, as not even an award system, but basically a uh, altruistic site where people would go and provide uh, funds to a worthwhile project as yeah. it went forward. It has certainly evolved. It has evolved to the, the point that it is viewed by many, um, certainly by many venture capitalists, as the uh, proving ground for any type of consumer-based product that's out there. 
if you're going to go out there and put out, whether it be game, let's, let's use games. You're going to put a game out there. The venture capitalist is going to want to know that you're selling games through Kickstarter. Now, technically, you're not selling anything on Kickstarter. People are just contributing money. But in exchange for that money, you get you know a certain type of premium. Maybe a button. It may be if you're a if, if it's music, it'll be a CD. If it's a deck of cards, it'll be uh, exploding cats. Um, <laughs> but certainly, certainly that's the start of the most successful what I would call a crowdfunding site. Where Moolah Pitch comes in is we're an equity crowdfunding site. Equity crowdfunding means that you're not necessarily getting a premium. You may get a premium, but you're not necessarily getting a premium. You're getting either a note or a piece of equity. It's basically you're making an investment in a company in return for a contribution to that company at a particular level. The crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding model has been most successful amongst accredited investors and also in the real estate market, uh, which has tended to be accredited investors as well. It's in fact been used by a number of developers. They have, there's, there's multiple websites out there. And, you know, Realty uh, Mogul is one that jumps up, up in, um, in the front of my mind, but there's multiple real estate websites out there, or crowdfunding websites. So I gotta gotta stop you just really quickly. You've mentioned the term accredited investor a couple of times now, and I just wanna make sure that everybody listening in understands what an accredited investor is. It's a a regulatory securities term which people need to understand, I think. Right, correct. It is an SEC designation for an individual or a couple or an entity. The underlying logic behind is, that these people are financially sophisticated enough that they don't need all the protections that are afforded a more Main Street investor in the marketplace. The usual financial requirements for an individual is that you have to have a net worth absent your house. And I can't remember, the SEC has proposed new numbers on it now. It was around a million dollars as far as, in, or alternatively on income, it has you have to have income in excess of two hundred thousand, or as a couple in excess of three hundred thousand. The SEC really has not gone and changed those parameters in a number of years, and of course because of inflation that has changed somewhat. But and they have proposed new numbers. Off the top, I can't tell you what the new numbers are. But basically, what it provides is you don't have to have the same set of disclosures that you would have for a Main Street offering. That's basically the accredited investor. So I think you were starting to explain that not all crowdfunding platforms are created equal, that there are differences not only in the kind of investors that it can attract or even maybe the amount that people can contribute, but the types of investments and and even whether you get equity or you just get some other sort of premium benefit, right? No, that, yes, no, that's definitely correct. Yeah, it varies everything from something which is truly altruistic, a GoFundMe type page where people will basically, they need a, say they lack insurance and their child needs some type of surgery of one sort or other, people will go out and raise money for it. Right. Or alternatively, they'll step out 
and raise money to help some individual that they think is is deserving having that type of raise. The next level would be something along the lines of Kickstarter, and there are multiple platforms in this. So I'm just using these as, as examples. In which case, um, again, if you don't donate a buck or five dollars to a particular individual on Kickstarter, you might not get anything. On the other hand, you could donate two thousand dollars and get a uh, special ticket or pass to stay at some place or to yeah. or a backstage pass for this particular band show, something right. along those lines. Then we have the equity crowdfunding sites. If you're on the real estate side. Essentially, you're receiving either part of a real estate portfolio, which would be an investment fund that's in a number of real estate properties, or alternatively, you're getting a share in a particular building. It's usually a fund, and it's usually blended so that uh, similar to a, um, a real estate investment trust, which is you know basically a fund that's investing in a certain type of real estate. Then you have the equity crowdfunding sites. Some are intrastate, which means they are run by the particular state security entity, not run, but governed by. Mm -hmm. um, and it restricts investment in any type of offering on that site to individuals from that particular state. So Moolah Pitch is a Wisconsin equity crowdfunding site, which means that not only does a business have to be located in Wisconsin, but the uh, investors have to be located in Wisconsin. And the reason for that is, is it precludes SEC regulation. SEC uh -huh. regulation tends to be very, very tight and very extensive. Yeah. SEC, for anybody who doesn't know, is the Securities and Exchange Commission and is the federal agency that closely regulates equity, which they consider to be really securities in, in many cases. Yeah, equity is a, a security, as are debt instruments. Then you do have some sites. Seed Invest, Angel Fund does a little of it, but basically they are sites that are national in their scope. They tend to be, to, you know, we get all sorts of regulatory nuances here, which I really don't want to go into. No, uh, not, they're not, really no, complex. We no, we but don't the, have we don't have time, and I think right, uh, exactly. Probably some of these time. are some of these rabbit holes are probably topics on of themselves. Right, but there are some national sites where accredited investors can do essentially equity crowdfunding. So that brings us really back to Moolah Pitch. Why did you start it? What's the origin behind it? And what kind of niche were you hoping to fill when you helped create the platform? As I alluded to earlier, I had a brewery back in the 90s. And I had massive difficulties trying to raise money without falling out of compliance with securities laws. Basically, you weren't allowed to go out and reach out to people and say, hey, would you like to invest? Well, the point was, if you don't ask somebody, they're not going to even know you're raising money and therefore you can't do it. But I was able to get around that, not around that, able to deal with the regulatory environment at the time and raise money. When crowdfunding came along, I thought, you know, hey, we, we finally have the golden solution here for going out there and raising money. And the other thing that I liked about it is in Wisconsin in particular, what you've tended to have, you don't have a very fluid market out here for investing. And individuals have difficulty finding things to invest in. Therefore, they basically will join 
a number of clubs. And I'm talking about angels now, angels being generally wealthy individuals that will contribute money to their own fund that is put together by, you know, a number of women and a number of guys to invest in startup opportunities. Unfortunately, many of those angel investment funds are pretty jammed up with regard to their ability to invest in deals. They just don't have that much liquidity out there because they're tied up in other deals. So the uh, availability of new money for new deals, relatively tight, and it tended to be a um, somewhat of a club, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, a degree of exclusivity, which precluded smaller individuals that had perhaps not gone through an accelerator. Uh, is your audience familiar with the accelerators? I believe so. We've had okay. um, one accelerator on it. In fact, the guest next week is forming an incubator. Okay. We'll talk about the difference next week between accelerators and incubators. Right. The accelerator incubator model, a lot of folks want companies to go through that. But on the other hand, you have a lot of people that are out there starting companies they may be working full time. Right. Um, Absolutely they do not. Right. They do not have the opportunity, the time, or the money to quit their job. But at the same point in time, and if they're required, you know, and I'm not saying required as a black and white rule, but the point is required by uh, procedures out there in the marketplace. Yeah. They know need to go through an, an accelerator and incubator. They're basically precluded from raising money. So I saw crowdfunding as a great tool, a great tool that is open to everybody. Right. That basically it's a democracy. It's basically a democracy for getting out there and raising money, a pure democracy where everybody is potentially equal. And really, to be honest with you, I put a lot of, a lot of weight in that. It sounds you know, a little philosophic, but the point is that it opened up the market to any potential entrepreneur that was out there. You know, I think the other thing too, just working with some startup companies over the years, one of the other things that makes crowdfunding appealing is the amount of money. I think a lot of angel investors and certainly venture capitalists, if you get to that phase, have, you know, if you only need $35,000 or $50,000, a lot of these startup companies have said the angel investors don't want to talk to us. We're not big enough for them. Some little companies, that's really all they need. So the crowdfunding model is great in terms of its flexibility to be able to raise 20,000, 50,000, a hundred thousand, whatever that may or may not be of interest to some other kinds of investors. Yes, that's correct. You know, bottom line is the angel investor is looking for that home run investment. I'll use a Wisconsin case right now, Eat Street, which has been having, you know, a fairly strong return or an exact science. They're both Madison-based, but that's what I'm familiar with. But the point is that folks who invested in that early were able to make a considerable return on their cash, which basically allowed them to offset their losses in other mm-hmm. companies. But right. that's what they're really looking for. They're looking for a strong return. The thing is about crowdfunding is what it should be is that basically the individual entrepreneur reaches out to their potential market and makes a case to those folks um, that are their potential customers that says, hey, 
you really need to go and fund me. And if you go and fund me, I'm going to let you share in my success, whether it be for a small community that would allow a business to develop or stay in that community, whether it be for, you know, I mentioned a brewery because breweries have been very successful on crowdfunding um, or a distillery that somebody says, hey, you know, I, I'm certainly willing to invest in that to have it locally. And hey, maybe I got discount tickets from when I go over to the tap room. If it be a, a film that somebody's doing, or it can be something as pedestrian, I don't mean pedestrian in a pejorative sense, but the idea of having a common meeting space in a particular community. So it allow, allows folks to raise money for something that is truly a Main Street business. And it also allows somebody to build on their, on their relationships. And uh, that's extremely important because, you know, the old, the old saying is you don't invest in a business, you invest in the individual. That is correct, I believe. So I'm sure every crowdfunding platform has its own process to be featured, I guess. is I'm not sure if that's the right word on the crowdfunding platform. What does the process for being listed or featured on Moolah Pitch look like, just in a nutshell? Well, the process that we were using, we're not using right now, but we were using, is basically somebody expressed interest. If they expressed interest, we asked them for a set of papers, basically what their proposal was. Well, number one, we wanted to know their real entity. That's through documentation. Number two, we wanted to know that they had some sense of a business plan. If they're going to raise money, how they're going to use that money. Number three, we needed a copy of the business plan. And first, we took those in with an application fee, basically to decide if they're truly a candidate to go out and raise money. And I don't mean a candidate in the fact that they were going to be successful because, you know, you can't predetermine who's going to be successful. There's many very billion-dollar companies out there that I wouldn't expect it to be successful. But the point is that you do want to make sure that somebody's real and right. that you're not simply investing in somebody's Cancun vacation. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm from that sure, perspective... I'm- yeah, I'm sure there are some some doozy stories out there of uh, oh, I'm sure there. It's you know, it's fraud. What can we say? But um, the point is to to under make sure that these people are legitimate. And then from that perspective, what we counsel them in is number one, we counsel them on the uh, the approach to crowdfunding. We'd have them list out a set of questionnaires, and you know that could be poured into a format that we'd ultimately be able to go and list on our on our site for the investment. We had to have them put documents together. For example, you know, a, in, investment documents, number one. And there's there's some legal cost to this. You, you have to remember that because you're, you're raising money and you have to put together the papers to raise money. But, you know, basically make sure that they had the legal forms in place. And then most importantly, we counsel them on how to use a crowdfunding platform. You know, a lot of people think that, hey, you build it and they will come. They don't come. Plain and simple. There's so much out there on the internet, nobody will ever find you unless you go and tell them you are there. Crowdfunding is a tool. It's a tool for somebody to use with their marketing program. It's a tool to direct somebody to make that cash investment. But the point is, 
you have to market the availability of that. You have to market your existence and you have to market the, the, uh, the offering in and of itself, yeah. that it is available and it's out there. I hate to interrupt you here, but we need to take a quick break for station identification and a word from a few of our sponsors. Folks, stay tuned. We'll be right back with Steve Deinhardt talking about crowdfunding and Moolah Pitch. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Savvy Entrepreneur with your host, Doris Nagel. Today, I'm talking with Steve Deinhardt, who's been kind enough to join me on the show this week to share some of the ins and outs of crowdfunding and his platform called Moolah Pitch, which is Wisconsin-based crowdfunding platform. Steve, before the break, you were starting to touch on, I think, a really important topic, which is some of the misconceptions that people have about crowdfunding and the fact that they think that you can just put out the offering on a site and there's going to be tons of people just coming by. I mean, I'll tell you, I had a client who shall remain nameless, but he just put himself out on a crowdfunding site and his minimum investment, believe it or not, was $500,000. But he thought with doing no marketing, no advertising, that people were going to come. And he did get some, but they were people who were absolutely fraudsters who contacted him. And he ended up spending a lot of time and energy figuring out that they, they weren't even who they said they were going to be, some crown prince of some, you know, whatever in Saudi Arabia and other people like that. Yeah, you have to know your audience. And you have to know who's going to come through a crowdfunding source to invest in you. There's certain parameters with regard to how much you can invest in Wisconsin as an individual. Parameters that are limited by if you're accredited or not not accredited, and if you're accredited as an entity. So there is the ability to step if you go and advertise a uh, offering on crowdfunding. There is the ability to take funds outside of that offering with another offering, which would be a direct uh, direct private placement. But, you know, the idea of having someone come through the Internet and invest a half a million dollars in your particular idea, it just ain't going to happen. A large deal like that, it's, it's going to go through attorneys and it's you're going to end up paying a pound of flesh for that pound of gold. So that was certainly a naive approach. And yeah. I said, and despite the fact that I had a number of folks that were on my site doing offerings. And despite the fact I stressed the fact that, hey, first step is you contact your friends and family, you use your social media, you use your Facebook, your LinkedIn, your Twitter. If you got lists, you use that list on email. Now, shame on me to an extent that when we came out, there was still uh, some question with regard to the uh, regulation by the Securities and Exchange Commission on social media with fundraising. Really? Uh, Talk about that. I don't know. At the time, there was a question that if you went and put an offering in on just on your email, okay, that you emailed all your connections. Because those connections might have been outside of Wisconsin, given that you're a Wisconsin entity, then you would run afoul of the SEC laws because you'd be doing what they considered an interstate offering. 
Yeah, that that's tough too with social media being so pervasive. I mean, so you put a, a few tweets out there or something on a Facebook platform. It it's a lot of work to make sure that the people. I mean, if somebody lives in Wisconsin part of the time and in Florida part of the time, is that it. really you know is that really an investor? You know. Yeah, you can't do it. You just you just can't do it. I mean, it's it's totally impractical for for any small entrepreneur to go and do that. Now the SEC changed the law. They changed the law in October and they went and said, okay, you can put it on your social media, but any of those investors who come on board have to say that they're within state. Okay. They're interstate investors in truck, which was compliant. And that was fine. However, I launched, launched in November and that the change in SEC regulation was passed at the October meeting but it wasn't effective to March. And and the unfortunate thing is, despite the fact I felt the SEC is no way going to do this when they've already made the law change, they're not going to come after a small entrepreneur that's raising money. Those clients that had very good legal counsel were advised, do not do anything with your social media until at least April. Okay. But that said, even so, even so, the folks that went d- didn't even c- consult with lawyers. I had one in particular. He had a database of 5,000 folks that were interested in investing in small businesses in Wisconsin, either investing or was connected to the industry. Okay. And he refused to use it. He, he said, well, that isn't right because I only got this list because of my connection over here. I said, tell your connection you're going to use it. <laughs> he says, no, I just wouldn't feel right doing that. But the, mm-hmm. the point is that people are for, all, my, people are for all these people I had listed, nobody, nobody, I take that back, one person had the chutzpah to go and ask people he knew to invest. Everybody else said, I, I, I can't go and ask people. Well, if you can't go and ask people, why are you on this site, number one? Why did we go this far to get you posted on the site? And number two, how are you ever going to raise money if you don't ask? People are people are not going to just go and see this and say, oh, that's great. I want to invest. Maybe they will, but they're not going to invest when nobody else has. And that's another thing with doing a, with doing a, a crowdfunding. If you're going to put an offering out there, you have to go and prep your first in offerees or your first in buyers. You have to go and say, look, I'm going to get this offer up. It's going to start on February 14th. You Uh, love me. It's almost like, it's like, it's almost like uh, writing a book. You need to pre-sell it and tell people, watch for my my new book that's coming out in April. Correct. It's, it's marketing. And a lot of people think that you don't have to market. I have such a great idea. I don't need to sell it. And to be honest with you, unless you're selling all the time, selling from the day you start a business to the day you close it, you are not going to be successful. And this is this is just another tool. It's like the telephone. It's like the mail. You know, it's like sales. Okay, it's a tool that you use to communicate. This yeah. tool allows you to put a lot of information over to a lot of people at a relatively low cost. 
Yeah. Um, oh, and maybe you need to ask for a marketing plan up front when they're applying to be on the site. Well, it's not only that. As I said, we we actually went and you know had a program, gave them literature on how to get out there in the market. So it wasn't oh, a question. Wow. Of, it wasn't a question that we you know didn't give them a heads up about doing it. The point is that they just did not have the chutzpah, for lack of a better term, that you need to go out there and to sell. You know, um, that's that's very interesting. I wonder what it is, speaking of waxing philosophical, I wonder what it is about the concept of crowdfunding that somehow seems to attract a lot of people who don't want to sell doing anything else and think this is the answer. I, it's interesting, I think. Well, I think the, the biggest problem or the biggest thing is there's low barriers to entry. Okay, it doesn't, you know, relative to other past, you know, other things out there. I tell you, my first people that went on there, they didn't spend anything. Okay, I was able to get lawyers who just in their own goodwill because they wanted to be part of this, that they looked over their packages and everything else. So they didn't spend a dime, not one dime. Wow. And that was a problem in and of itself, because if you give away something. They don't value it. They don't value it. If yeah. something's free, you don't value it in the end. But even so, if you had gone through on a full cost, maybe it would have cost you five, ten thousand dollars to list. And I'm talking about with all your legal fees too, getting your docs together, okay? Because it doesn't cost near as much. And the the point is that that's a lot cheaper than going and getting a pl private placement memoranda that's done and been approved by your legal your legal firm, which I mean, that can cost fifty, a hundred thousand dollars. So as a result, because the barriers to entry are so low, so low, number one, you can find a site. Number two, it doesn't cost that much. You have people that aren't as hungry, for lack of a better term. And you got to be hungry if you're an entrepreneur. You can't sit in the back of the room and not be out there promoting yourself, not be out there promoting your idea, not going out there and, you know, doing those meetings again and again and again. When I've raised money, I don't know how many times I would sat around talking with folks about, you know, where we were going, what we were going to use money for, what the possibility was, what their return was going to be, or hopefully be. And it's, it's, it's a lot of work. And it's, it's very time consuming, too. I, I've had some startup entrepreneurs tell me, or even not just startups, but anybody in the, the raising money mode, tell me it's almost a full-time job. And so, it is a full-time job. So that's probably one of the other problems. It's that the crowdfunding is a low barrier to entry, not only in terms of the money you need to spend, but also people probably look at it as this real easy-peasy, low low at time investment kind of platform that kind of works while they sleep. They can put their head in the pillow and the social media just cranks away. And I think what you're saying is that nothing could be farther from the truth. It's still a full-time job raising money, however yeah, you want to do it. It's a tool. It's a tool that should produce, should produce greater returns for your investment in time than sitting around knocking on doors. The other thing, the other thing is there's been a change and, you know, I can't speak, I know it's changed in Illinois too. I think that the whole idea of raising money 
has become too simplified. The story is, now, now I'll tell you what the story is now. You go to an incubator and accelerator. After you graduate from there, you go to the angel group. After you get the money in the angel group, you get over to VCs. And that's the way you go. There's, right. That's the path. There is no other path. Okay. And it's, it's a simple model, but it's a freeway that is jammed. You have these angel groups that are looking at 100 or 200 books a year on opportunities and investing on three or four. It is, it's a super highway that's just jammed. And it, it, the other thing is that you get into these, um, I'll say clicks for lack of a better term. That's not the appropriate term here. But basically, you know, if you got blessed by Charlie, then you're blessed by Paul, and then you're blessed by Nancy. <laughs> and, right. Right. you know, and if you're not part of that group, if you're not part of the good old boy and girl group, okay, you, you just aren't going to get anything. Right. You, you just you just aren't you're going to be an outsider. They're going to look at you. They'll give you some time, maybe, and and that'll be it. Um, well, well, and also, you know, we had a venture capitalist come on several weeks back, and his point was that so many businesses he sees come to him, and he said, "You're you're you don't need venture capital. You are not right for venture capital. Not because we don't want you or we wouldn't like you, but you're." You don't need us. You don't. This is not the best path for you. And he said, people just don't understand. They think there's some magic about ending up with a venture capital investment. And he said, that's just there's so many, so many more businesses that don't need venture capital than there are that do. Yeah, no, uh, there are. And the other thing is, you know, in venture capital, you have to think of the type of returns they're looking for. They're looking for a 10, 20 time return on their uh, on their investment. And most you know, that, that was another thing, uh, you know, in the crowdfunding that I felt was important, that you could do Main Street businesses. You could go and do a coffee shop. You didn't have to be the next Facebook app. All right. right? I mean, you could be somebody that's making a reasonable living, gets a good reasonable return down to their down to their investors. And you didn't have to make a million bucks. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the venture capital people, I mean. You know, it used to be when I when I had that brewery and I was out raising money, the uh, hurdle was two million dollars. Okay, this is early nineties, late eighties, early nineties. I'm dating myself. And then that bar's changed. That bar's up at five, ten million dollars now. You know, most businesses out here wouldn't know what to do with five, ten absolutely. million. Absolutely, that's absolutely um, right. They and, don't and need it. No, they don't need it, and it's the wrong. They, they aren't going to get it either. And to spend the time doing that is just, I mean, it's a naive approach. Right. And I tell you, the angel groups, most of them are out there looking for that deal that they're going to be able to sell to the venture capital for the 10 million bucks. Right. Um, and so they may, that may not be the right path for a lot of businesses either. No, but people are not used to the idea, you know, I mean, you even had some of, some of the people saying, well, I never asked my family or friends to invest. It's just like, really? If you're not going to ask your family and friends or those people who have, are closest to you and have your most faith in you to invest, how are you going to ask a perfect perfect stranger to go and do it? Right. I mean, these are the people you have the greatest human capital with, and yet you don't want to go and express that to them? It just, It's just a naive approach. But the point is that it used to be 
when we we didn't have the, the the startup networks that we have now and everything else, people were willing to go and do whatever they had to do to raise money if they were entrepreneurs. And you know, when I first started, I first started trying to do a business when I was down in Champaign. I wanted to buy a bar down there, and I went to a bank, and I was like, I might have been 19, and uh, maybe it was 21, maybe I was drinking there, and uh, you know, well, I didn't know any better. Yeah, go ahead. I, you know, I, I mean, I didn't know any better, so I went to the bank. I asked, they said, well, what are you, what's your collateral? I said, what? What's collateral? <laughs> and, you know, uh, and that's the type of learning curve people start out off of. Right, But you, exactly. you do learn. You do right. learn and you step up. And the other thing I should change, I'd, I'd say there's been another major change from an investment perspective too. I remember again, back in the nineties when companies used to have offerings out. Okay, I remember Starbucks offering coming on the street. I remember all sorts of brewery offerings. Like, you know, I'm in the beverage side, right? Where I used to be in the beverage side exclusively. And I pay attention to that all the time. But People would go and they get the um, they get the offering docs and they make investments through their broker. Okay. Folks don't do that much anymore. They don't buy individual stocks. They invest over in Fidelity Fund number four, five, six, seven, Vanguard Fund seven, eight, nine. The idea of going out and buying an individual stock or an individual piece of equity, an individual investment is relatively foreign to people these days. Yeah. Um, and it's it's also hard to find out about any of them that are issued. I mean, so you'll read in the paper, you know, Uber's going IPO and everybody falls all over themselves to try to get, you know, a few shares of Uber when it gets publicly listed. But for the most part, so many companies, nobody even would know how to get access to any of those shares, even if they knew a company they wanted to invest in. Yeah, it's like you know, think of how many how many individual has individuals have brokers now. Uh, not, not many. many. Charles, not many. Tra- Charles Schwab, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're not that many. You know, and part of it is, you know, if I get into the class stuff. You know, we have such a concentration of wealth up in the upper one percent. Okay, and we got a huge bunch of people that are just getting by every day and. Maybe they're willing to invest a thousand, two thousand dollars in their neighbor or in their son's friend or in the guy they know through church, but they don't have that kind of money to spare and uh, go buy the WeWork offering. Or, no. or well, right. Well, I think I think there's probably a, a lack of trust overall. I I think certainly in the Midwest. I don't know if that's the case on the coast, but in the Midwest. People are a lot of people are still hurting very much, even from the 2000, 2007 and 8 recession. And I think there's a lot of distrust about about stocks and brokers and banks. And, you know, I I can't say that not all of it is deserved. Undeserved. Undeserved. Right. (laughs) As you say. Right. All right. So um, we're almost out of time. The time as always, when you're talking about a very interesting topic, which crowdfunding is, just flies by. So March is going to come soon. It's around the corner, March or April. I forget what you said with the new securities laws. So what are, what are the plans for Moolah Pitch? And 
are you are you planning to relaunch how how are you thinking about that at the moment right now the thought is when i relaunched mula pitch i'm doing my own offering first because i have to have somebody on there that i mean this is going to sound full of myself but somebody who shows the way in other words if you have a successful offering out there that offering will breed more success for other people because a path will be cut. And it's easy for me to sit around and say, hey, they're not doing this right, not doing that right, not doing the other thing right. But if I'm gonna say that, I need to, uh, I need to you know, walk the walk too. Um, uh-huh. So that'll probably be the next time, the next offering I put out on Mola Pitch. It'll be one of my own, it won't be this year. All right, so stay tuned, folks. This will be a very interesting story to follow. And Steve, maybe with a little luck, I'll be able to get you to come back on after you've reinvented the platform and uh, share the story because I'll be very interested to see how it plays out. So once again, I I just want to say thank you. Any final words of advice for people, thoughts, words of wisdom about crowdfunding in general? No, I mean, the, the words of wisdom are, hey, crowdfunding is a tool. Use every tool you have in your bag. If you have a great idea, go out there and sell it. You know, believe in yourself. Don't take no from anybody. Um, if they ignore you, then go to the next book. They say no, go to the next guy. Somebody, somebody, one of 10 is going to say yay and go and invest in you. If you believe in yourself, you'll raise the money. Thanks so much again for being with us today, Steve. Right. Really Thank appreciate you, Doris. It. That is our show for this week, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks again to our guest today, Steve Dinehart from Mula Pitch, as well as Heartland Business Transitions, his, his other job. I hope you found it as interesting and insightful as I did. To listen to an on-demand recording podcast of today's show, along with other free information and resources for entrepreneurs, you can go to the Savvy Entrepreneur website show page at lakesradio.org. You can go to my consulting website, which is globalocityservices.com, or my law website, which is forsythialaw.com. Now, be sure to join us next Saturday when our guest will be Michael Rosen. He's busy building a healthcare company incubator called Helix 51, which is based at Rosalind Franklin University. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Rosalind Franklin, and I have to admit I was one of them before I met with Michael, it's based in the far north suburbs of Chicago and is probably the least well-known of the Chicago area's five medical schools. So he's got some very interesting things going on at Helix 51. It'll be an interesting lesson. Don't miss it. And until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneuring.